Welcome to this week's episode of the Catholic Duluth Show. The Catholic Duluth Show is a parish community podcast serving the parishes of Holy Family in St. Lawrence in Duluth, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us this week. My name is Daniel Rota. I'll be your host. Uh, with me, I have Father Ryan Moravitz. How are you doing today, Father? I'm doing really well. Um, it's, it's been a good day so far, and um, it's been a good start to the week. Uh, you know, I always, I always talk about uh, adoration oftentimes, you know, early on in the week. And yesterday, um, at the start of adoration, we had to bring in extra chairs because there were so many people. Um, so I think there must have been a dozen or more people, and they all stayed for that first hour which was incredible. Um, I had two priests, two of them were my, a couple of my priest buddies that were here for our priestly fraternity group. Um, so we do a holy hour together, so we did our holy hour in there. But it was neat because we had to go out and actually get extra chairs because there were so many people that stayed for the holy hour after mass. So anyways, that, that, that was kind of a, a blessing for me always. You know, and I always talk about it, but I, you know, seeing that and doing that yesterday was really neat. Um, but had a, I had a funny, I kind of had a chuckle inside this morning at mass. That it, Can I share? Yeah, please. So Unless it's a joke against me. No, it's not a joke so, against okay, you. Good. Yeah, Daniel walked in late again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, you always walk in right, right about 8 o'clock, you know? Uh, today I was well, late, you're, so... <laughs> you're, you're coming across the bridge, you know? No, there's... Uh, so Hannah, in the, the first reading today at the beginning of the book of Samuel, she's in the temple and she's like... She's crying because she can't, she can't get pregnant. So she's really struggling with that. So she's... She's praying to God, and so she's sitting there murmuring, you know, to God. And Eli comes up to her, and he's the priest there, and he, he says, you know, he looks at her. Eli watched her mouth, for Hannah was praying silently, though her lips were moving. Her voice could not be heard. So Eli, thinking her drunk, of course, he's like, look at this drunk woman. Right? She's thinking drunk, and she's here in the temple, like, you know, talking to herself. So he goes up, said to her, how long will you make a drunken show of yourself? Sober up from your wine. And then it says, it, it isn't that, my lord, Hannah answered. And this is, this, is, this is where I had a chuckle at, just how it was read this morning at Mass, because it, it was a pause not in the right part. And it's one of those things, like, if you take only part of a verse, you can have a bad interpretation of it. So the, <laughs> the, the lecture went like this. So it, it isn't that, my lord, Hannah answered. I am an unhappy woman. I have had neither wine nor liquor. I was only pouring out my trouble to the Lord. So there's like this pause at the wrong, like at the wrong point. So it made it like, made it sound like she was saying, I'm an unhappy woman. I've had neither wine nor liquor. <laughs> so like inside, I kind of chuckled. I was like, ooh. That's funny. But it's a good, like, so it's, it's a, anyways, I, I thought it was funny this morning. And I just chuckled inside. And I don't think I cracked a smile because I don't know if anybody else picked it up, but. I had a good chuckle about it. I've been chuckling about it throughout the day. And I, it, it is one of those things of like sometimes you can take only part of a sentence or part of a verse or part of a speech and totally take it out of context. And it sounds yeah. like something that is absolutely not in context because she does go on, you know. She she does say, no, it's not that. It's not that I've had wine or linker, you know. Anyways, <laughs> there's my funny for the day. <laughs> that's, that's good. <laughs> I'm an unhappy woman. I've had neither wine nor liquor. <laughs> Uh, well, we are also joined today um, by Peter Brown. Uh, Peter Brown is a seminarian for the Diocese of Duluth, and he has uh, the unenviable task of shadowing Father Ryan for the last two weeks. Uh, so thank you for joining us again this week, Yeah, Peter. week number two. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be good. It's good for you to be here, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he has to it's say a, that. You know, it is a pleasant <laughs> experience following Father Ryan. 
Yeah, you guys have had quite quite the week and a half so far, right? Yeah, pretty busy. Um, a little less busy this week so far. Yeah, it's not as we're not running as from yeah. we're not running one thing to last the next. Last week was crazy. It yeah. was. It was nuts. Yeah. yeah. Not not five funerals this week. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's only there's only two at the end of the week here. So. <laughs> yeah. Plus plus there was a wedding. There was a wedding so, last week too. That was a ton of stuff. And yeah. a number of anointings last week. Like we got called out to a couple yeah. different things. It was it was quite yeah. a week last week. Good experience though. Very good. Very good for good. you to see what it what it really can be like when yeah. it's in full gear. Has it uh, caused you to lean one way or the other? <laughs> I, I like it a lot more than seminary so far. <laughs> so I love it. That's good. Really though, it's, it's a, that's a it's, good answer. It's more it's more tangible. It's yeah. Feel like you're having more of an impact than just sitting in your room mm-hmm. reading, I which mean, is which is really a good sign of that a healthy, mature, I think, uh, desire in the calling. You know, when when a guy wants, when he kind of recognizes, like, yeah, this is more life giving than than seminary. And seminary can be tough and it can be great. It's yeah. got lots of dynamics, but when a guy sees the priesthood in action, to be able to say, yeah, I, this is way better, and yeah. I like it, you know. Yeah. I would think too that, that that's that's something that when you do go back to seminary, it, it can make the studies come a little bit even more alive in a sense. It can be like, oh, I I could see how this is actually like applying, or I guess it could do the opposite effect and be like, how does this apply? <laughs> so I yeah, well, think it could probably have both, but um, but yeah. I don't I don't think that. So yeah, the hope is that it um, would invigorate me for a possible next four years. Yeah, but and if nothing <laughs> else, it can it can sustain you to just get get through it. Yep, because it's yep. it's light at the end of the tunnel sometimes, right. where you realize, okay, you know, I do have to do this, and it's important for me to be able to get there and be able to enter into the ministry of it and the grace of it. But uh, it can be light at the end of the tunnel, having these experiences to go, okay, I can persevere through this, knowing that this is what's at the end of it. Yeah, it would have been much harder if I if it wasn't any sense of light at the end, if I didn't have the experience and this see something to look forward to. This seems to give you a little bit of light, eh? Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> That's good to hear. You know, you don't <laughs> always worry, like, oh, no, is the guy going to be like, no, don't want to do this. <laughs> but you've really thrived in it, it seems. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I don't think anyone really has a bad experience, right? I mean, I think if they're not called, they do. I think guys who have who have gone into a parish, um, sometimes they've they've realized, like, oh, wow. Uh, huh. I, when they kind of get into the heart of it, they're, they're, and it's a good... It's a good discernment thing for a guy to be in a parish because whether it's rectory living or and or just the dynamics in a parish to what the ministry actually calls you to, you know, to running out to anoint somebody or, you know, planning a funeral or doing funerals or, or preaching every day or just the, the spontaneity of every day. Some guys, are they realize like, oh, well, wait, I, this, this doesn't yeah. attract me. You know, because sometimes they have a false image of maybe what diocesan priesthood is like, or, and it's all different. It just depends on a guy's personality too. I mean, if you shattered another priest, it would be a different but same experience too. But, mm. anyways, sometimes it brings guys light to go. Mm, nope, uh, yeah. maybe this isn't for me, and that's why we do it. You know. But I think it's for you, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's encouraging that my vocation director <laughs> thinks that I might be able to be a priest someday. <laughs> I'm glad you think that. Yeah, that's what I think about most of you guys. <laughs> Actually, all of you. <laughs> okay, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Uh, we'll, we'll give this a chance. We'll, we'll, let's see what happens. 
Well, Father, do you want to uh, do you want to open us in a prayer now that we're about eight, eight minutes, minutes in? in? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we open with a prayer here <laughs> in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? Amen. God, our Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for calling us. We thank you for calling us from our baptism um, to to life with you and to encounter you and to be loved by you, and in that that to to love you back, Father God. Um, we just thank you also for the callings that you place on our lives, whether that's um, to the priesthood or to the married life um, or to some other uh, journey that you that you lead anybody on to. Lord, we just we just thank you because we know that in these ways, um, in all the ways that you call us to to live in life and the sacrifices and the the actions you call us to, that you you call us to ultimately encounter you and to love you. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. I ask for your blessing upon all, all of our parishioners and the community and anybody that's listening to this, Lord, that, that you just point into their hearts your love and a knowledge um, and a sense of that love. Um, so, Lord, we, we just ask for your blessing upon our conversation right now and our time together. We pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Um, so I guess, you know, briefly... <laughs> uh, I, I got this briefly this morning too at our meeting Dan looked at me and said you have 50 seconds father and we were like having a time discussion I was like really? that's all I got is 50 seconds and he's like 45 or whatever it was, I was like, yeah 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 okay and I talked for like 5 minutes 5 and minutes I said, after yeah. I said is, that, is my 50 seconds out? <laughs> yep is what I said okay. <laughs> so what do you want brevity on? So, um, so what is going on this week? yeah Okay, um, briefly. So we've got RCIA tonight. I'm teaching RCIA. Um, I'm excited about that. Father Rich our, and I are team teaching. I'm starting our church history. We have two lessons on church history this week and next week, which is always one of my favorites. I just can't find my notes, and I need to find my notes. Otherwise, I'm going to struggle tonight. So I was just digging for them a little bit, and they weren't where I thought they were. So I was like, oh, no. Um, so, yeah, RCIA, one of the things we're going to do as we enter into maybe February if anybody out there is interested or has a spouse interested or a friend interested or a child interested, whatever, in uh, doing the RCIA and at Easter being confirmed or baptized or both and receiving communion or becoming Catholic, I'm going to do a condensed version for anybody in the parishes that would want to. We changed the night from Monday to Tuesday, and I know there were people interested, but Tuesday just is not a good night, and I, I think that was... A mistake on our part. It just worked better with the sisters and Father Rich's schedule, and I said I can make it work. Anyways, um, I'm open to some opportunities. I've had one person call in and say they'd be interested. Um, if it's just one, I'll I'll just figure out a schedule with that person. But if we get a few, we'll figure out something where we can all get together and kind of do it in a more condensed version, but still get the experience and the learning and the discernment. I think we still have time for that. So yeah, so that's going on. Um. There was one more thing I was going to mention. I don't remember. Peter's here. Oh, uh, the rectory? Oh, yeah, the rectory. Thank you, Peter. See? I'm telling you. He went grocery shopping. He just went grocery shopping today, too. I keep saying, you know, sometimes guys take pastoral years, so they spend a full year in a parish, and <laughs> I might recommend, like, I think Peter needs to be on a, a pastoral year because he's great to be around. <laughs> he shops. He cooks. He does the dishes. <laughs> And you're you're just an all-around good guy, but and you remember what I was supposed to talk about, yeah. So, um, some of you may, when you drive in, um, you maybe have seen either trailers or work being done on the rectory. So we've been we're just doing some basement repairs. We found black mold last year in the basement, and quite a bit of it. 
essentially ended up needing to gut it all out, and then we had to redo the foundation this summer or this fall. Um, some bricks were pushed out, so we had filled those in. Um, and so it's a, it's a, it turned into a like any project, a bigger project than anticipated. And we got to a certain point, and I just kind of, I, I said, we just need to do this all and do it right and, and just get this done um, rather than just doing a piece of it. So anyway, so we're remodeling. Uh, I got some friends coming in, actually, who are good buddies who love helping out. So they're coming into town next week, and they're putting up walls in the basement, kind of restructuring how the rooms are down there um, uh, to possibly maybe put a chapel in, more bedrooms for gas and or if there was ever another priest here. Um, yeah, just kind of making it, uh, updating it, but also fixing some problems that were uh, not taken care of um, previously for a number of years. So, so yeah, if you see any any workers or things going on or people, you know, some people have been asking, it's a remodel of the basement right now uh, because we found black mold and then we found a foundation problem where the foundation was moving in, uh, and that's where the water came in. And, uh, yeah, so... Little update. Sometimes we we update on some of the the dynamics of having to take care of these buildings. So, yeah, yeah, great. Well, thanks, Father. Um, getting into the the main topic that we're going to talk about this week is uh, is baptism and kind of along with baptism, kind of sanctifying grace and kind of how they're connected, and then just uh, kind of what's going on in, in the scriptures right now. You know, on our uh, Sunday gospel readings kind of last week and this upcoming week and for a little bit we, we, we've been talking about John the Baptist and then obviously last weekend was a big one with the baptism of Jesus and then this upcoming Sunday kind of talk about uh, or it kind of takes place right after the baptism of Jesus so we just want to kind of talk about that and uh, yeah and kind of dive into it a little bit so um, I guess I could just kind of turn it over to you, Father, but um, kind of like what's the importance of of kind of baptism, specifically within um, like the scriptures and with, with John the Baptist and then with Jesus being baptized? So, um, you know, this past weekend in my homily, I talked about the importance of one is that there's a prefigurement of water and um, these actions that God takes with water um, and it's setting it up so that we, we can understand the beauty of the grace that comes with water, with baptism. Um, that the beauty of the grace that we receive through the waters of baptism, right? And so we look at the, at the beginning, God breathes over the waters, right? And they become the life source of everything, basically. Um, and that's one of the beauties of water anyways. It's, it's a life source, and we all need it, you know? And so that's one of the reasons that it becomes such a strong symbol throughout the scriptures. But then God uses it with Noah in the ark. He washes away sin creates a new beginning for humanity. It's through the waters of the Red Sea that he saves them from slavery and leads them to the Promised Land. And actually, when they enter the Promised Land, as I talked about this past weekend, it's through the River Jordan that they walk into the actual land that is promised. Um, so water becomes this rich symbol. Blood and water flowed from the side of Christ when he's pierced on the cross. Um, and Jesus is obviously baptized in the Jordan River. And then he commands the disciples to go forth and baptize, and they do that in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they do that with water. It's not just a prayer that's prayed over people. They would baptize them with water. And the water, um, actually, we pray that the grace would come upon that water, and it would actually take action, like it did in the Old Testament, you know, in these different situations of the people of God, that it would actually bring grace. 
and um, it would have an, a truly an impact on on the soul and on people. And so we see the development of that theology, um, you know, through the through the centuries in the church. And one of the analogies that I use when I'm talking about baptism too, like so we talk about sanctifying grace, for instance, and like, well, what does what does baptism do for us? So baptism ultimately allows us to enter into the death and resurrection of Jesus, which cleanses us, makes us a temple, and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, right? So with that, there's a transformation of the soul. We call it an indelible mark that's given, that it's something that's placed on the soul that, that can't go away. It can't go away. We've, it'll, it's always part of us. It, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a permanent impact on the soul. It's a permanent mark on the soul. It's a permanent transformation of the soul that you are now a baptized person, and you will always be a baptized person. So a couple of things about this. One is that w when we hand the baptismal garment to, the, to a family, I always tell people when we're baptizing a baby, I say, you know, this is to symbolize the soul, and le the rite says that, but I introduce that, th those words by saying, our soul at baptism is, is pure. Through the course of life, we can't lose our Christian dignity. We can't lose the grace of our baptism, but we can stain it, <laughs> we can wrinkle it, you know, we can do all these things. That's so why we have to come back to the mercy of Christ, that he can wash us clean and bring us back to that original state of baptism. But the other question people have is, well, why do we need this baptism, and isn't the Holy Spirit already with the, the baby, for instance? Like, God's already loving me, so why, what's the point of baptism? Here's the thing about baptism, and this is what the Holy Spirit does after the resurrection, is the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit enters the apostles, right? And that's, that's what happens at baptism, the Holy Spirit enters the soul um, because of the grace received of Christ's death and resurrection. So I use the analogy of coffee. <laughs> that it's, it's kind of like coffee. Like, yeah, when you walk into the kitchen in the morning and some, you know, the coffee's on, um, you can smell it. So you know that it's present. It's around you, right? And you can go up and you can look at it. You can see what color it is and you can pour it, pour it in your glass, right? You can feel the warmth of it. You can see the steam. You can smell it even closer when you put it right up to your nose. If you put your finger in it, you can feel that it's hot, right? So there's all these things with the senses that you can see it, you can smell it, all these different things. So the Holy Spirit prior to baptism is like the coffee in the kitchen. You know, its impact is still there and it's present and, and you can even, you can be fed by it, Right? in a sense of like being able to see it, so it's having an impact, it's feeding you, you can smell it, that does something to you. But when is the full effect of the coffee put into place? When you drink it. When you drink it. So baptism is like drinking the coffee cup and allowing it to enter in. And now it has an even, that it has the more, it's, it's having the impact that it really wants to have. That it wants to warm you, it wants to energize you, it wants to wake you up, all those different things. That coffee does, even the taste of it, you know, there's something deeper about that. So at baptism, the Holy Spirit enters into us, and it's a different reality. It becomes part of us. It's not just around us impacting us, but it's within us and part of us and now has a deeper impact, right? Um, so that's kind of a bit of, a, of an analogy maybe of that sanctifying grace and, and that Holy Spirit permanently imparts itself within us at our baptism, whether we're an infant or an adult when we're baptized. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. I got an alarm going off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, was it? Did you set that so I wouldn't talk so long? Is that what you did? Yeah, I set it on your phone. Yeah. So I went all over the place there. I don't know <laughs> if that was your yeah. original question or. Yeah, no, I I think that's good. In, in, you know, to see like, okay, how does baptism actually work? I know, you know, most of us get baptized when we're kids. Yeah, and even. And even if we don't, if we got baptized later in life, I feel like we don't really think about baptism that much, you know, because it's one of those things where it's like it happened and like, okay, well, it's in the past now, you know. And So there's there's a few sacraments that stick with us like constantly. They're the, they're the sacraments that give us these, we call them indelible marks. They give us graces that are permanent upon the soul. You know, it's like a tattoo on the soul that you can't get rid of. You can try to cover it up or you can allow it to not like be shown you know, you can like not live out of it, but it's it, it's part of you. Um, so there's a, there's a few sacraments. Do you know what they are, Peter? Test the seminarian. Let's see, so baptism. Baptism, good. Holy <laughs> orders. Yep, holy orders. Not marriage, because not marriage, right? There's no marriage in heaven, right? Um, and confirmation. Yep, confirmation. So holy orders, confirmation, and baptism are in particular um, graces of the Holy Spirit that, are, that, are, that remake the soul, recreate it through the grace of Christ. Right? So the Holy Spirit recreates the soul in a, a particular kind of way and it gives the indelible mark. And it's baptism, confirmation, which is the fullness of the grace of baptism, and then holy orders as well. So that's the whole dynamic. If, if, you've, you, if you've been baptized, you're always a baptized person. If you've been confirmed, you're always a confirmed person. If you've been ordained, you're always somebody who's been ordained, right? Yeah. Um, you can stop living that grace out, but it's still in you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to answer to that, too. Whereas the other sacraments, the Eucharist, confession, um, those are ones that, that do purify us and cleanse us, but they're the ones that we receive over and over and over again. So baptism, you can't be rebaptized. You can't be reconfirmed if you've been confirmed in the Catholic Church. You can't be reordained, Right? You can enter into higher levels of orders, right. deacon, priest, mm-hmm. bishop, but that's just receiving more of the order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so why do our non-Catholic Christian brothers and sisters do multiple baptisms? Do you, do you know what the like like if people are like like I know for some like non-denominational I, churches they'll like get rebaptized. Do they, are they under the impression that it's more of just a memorial, maybe, of their first baptism? Because I've never, I guess, I'm not too familiar with that. Okay, I, and I, I don't know a ton about it. I don't think I don't that, that that's much of a thing. Um, this is what I would say about that. And it, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Some, I know s- there's probably some denominations that would say um, baptism is a choice that you have to make, and so if you were baptized yeah. as a baby. Um, that really didn't count because you didn't make that decision. Sure. Um, um, but the reality is, is no, God's grace wants to work in us from the moment that we're alive, you know? And so um, so th- I would say that that might be a reason. Okay. Where we would sure. recognize baptism across the board, we recognize it as a sacrament that anybody that's baptized can baptize another person, but that has to be done with water. And in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. As Catholics, for it to be a really valid and licit, so a legal and real sacrament, it normally is done by an ordained minister, so a deacon or a priest or a bishop. In emergencies, it would be proper for you know a mom or a dad or a layperson who's been baptized to baptize someone who hasn't been baptized, whether it's a baby or an adult, 
um, in, the, in the case of an emergency of death, you know, um, to baptize one so that they would have that grace um, as they as they enter, you know, eternal life. Um, so yeah, we but we recognize it across the board. Um, as long as it's with water and in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we've always said baptism is baptism. Because yeah. um, of how it's ministered and it doesn't take much to minister it, if you will. Sure. Which is, there's a beauty yeah. to that too, you know. So uh, another kind of thing that I wanted to, to talk about was uh, kind of going specifically into the scriptures. is just the relationship between Jesus and John the Baptist. Um, just... I think I think it's really interesting because they're they're second cousins, and uh, just within like kind of the actual like dialogue that's in uh, last Sunday's reading, but then also this Sunday's gospel is like you kind it kind of makes you think like oh do they know each other do they not know each other like what's what what's their relationship because I just think I think that's kind of just just really kind of intriguing. Um, according to the you know the scriptures make it look and and say that John didn't know what Jesus looked like, didn't know Jesus. He, he could have known, he obviously knew of the Messiah, that the Messiah was there, the Messiah was in the <laughs> world and was coming and was, was present, right? And that, he could have had that knowledge from a very young age or something. But here's something else that the scriptures say, right, is that John was raised in the wilderness. And so John was raised, and when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, there was this community around the Jordan River area um, that lived kind of these this monastic kind of cloistered life of prayer and stuff. And um, there's a really good chance, and it would make a lot of sense, that John would have grown up there and away from everybody, even his family, because um, it says that he was raised out there. And if you think about it, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're old. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know about the tradition of when they died, but they were old. There's a good chance that they could have died when he was when he was a baby, or when he was a little kid, and he was he was sent off to be raised by these monks, which would have been the norm back then. So it's it's in the scriptures make reference that he was raised in the wilderness, and there was there was in that region when yeah. they found the Dead Sea Scrolls this community that lived there, and there's a lot of sign to say there's a good chance that that's where he grew up and was raised, and then when he became a man, he went out preaching, um, and would have maybe, you know, knew that the Messiah was coming or was in the world and that he had a special role within that. And so he was proclaiming it. So he needs this sign from God to know who it is when he sees him. So most likely, John the Baptist did not know what Jesus looked like. He could have known that he was a cousin or something, or he could have known his family history. That's a chance. But um, most likely, they actually weren't chumming around when they were growing mm -hmm. up. Yeah. At least, at, you know from a time of being very young. You know, maybe they knew each other when they were like three. Yeah, yeah. But the sense is, is if he had, you know, from his memories of childhood and growing up, he would not have known what Jesus looked like. Mm -hmm. Well, and they met when they were both in the womb. Well, yeah, right? I mean, there's... At the visitation, but well, yeah, they, that's not... They did and they didn't, <laughs> you know, yeah. They were in each other's presence, Yes. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure, you know. And so already John has this movement in him of recognizing the Christ. Yeah. Um, but he also needs this sign, right? So he gets this sign from heaven, and then John's able to proclaim, behold the behold the uh, Lamb of God. Yeah. Which is a great line. You know, John's the one who says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
right? That, you hear that at Mass before communion. Behold up the Eucharist. Behold the Lamb of God. You know, that's those are the words of John the Baptist. You know, the liturgy is full mm-hmm. of the scriptures. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that that would be there, and and from there on, there's still that. You know, John's pretty sure, but you know, there's still a little bit of a dialogue when he's like in prison and stuff. And um, yeah, their relationship is a unique one. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so. That's here's really the cool. other thing: like when you go to the Holy Land. So I announced this weekend that I'm planning a trip to the Holy Land. Um, leaving after Christmas next year, probably December 31st. That's what it's looking like. There's a little update for those of you that listen. You know, you get a little more info. I didn't give that this weekend. But looking like December 31st will be our departure day, probably a 10-day trip. We'll probably come back that following Sunday the 10th or whatever it is. Um, just working on final details. But that is one place. Um, oftentimes we'll, we'll get a chance to go up to where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found and you usually watch a little film there in the museum that kind of talks about the likelihood that John the Baptist was raised there and why they, they see that connection and with the, with the scriptures that they have and everything like that. And you can see because of its proximity to to the river and the valley and the Dead Sea that it would make a lot of sense that that's where John was raised, you know. Um, kind of adds to the whole picture and the story. It's it's a fascinating thing. Yeah, that's awesome. That's and. Uh, I love history, you know, whether, whether it's U.S. history, you know, I, it doesn't matter what it is. I just love learning about the past. And so especially, you know, when it comes into like church history and stuff like that, I think that context just helps you understand the faith more. Yeah. Espe- especially for me and I know for other people as well. So. Yeah. C- the cultural context, I think, is so important. And we, we, all of us, myself included, like it's so hard to grasp, like what was the culture like back then? Because like we have to remember, like Jesus wasn't living in America, you know, he wasn't living in our our culture, you know. Like we have to put that perspective in when yeah. we're when we're really trying to see Jesus, you know. Um, he lived in the midst of humanity, and humanity's got its commonalities, but he lived and spoke and acted in the midst of cultural norms, um, and in the midst of uh, religious norms too, and in the midst of, you know, dynamics of the times. And so it's so important, like, to understand the history and the culture and going to the Holy Land, you get an even deeper grasp of that. And even geography, you know, we talk about how geography forms a people. Um, in so many ways, geography does form a people, you know. Um, the way they think, the way they act. And, you know, you see that in Jesus um, based on where he lived and where he moved and, and all those different things. It's, it's fascinating to go there and see it. Yeah, or just to learn about it, you know. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Father, for your insight. Well, I don't know how insightful it is, but it is what it is. <laughs> and uh, thank you, Peter, for joining us again. Once again, um, yeah, it's great to have you around. Peter, any any words of wisdom as you leave the parish? No, not too much. I mean, that's for good. People are going to love your homilies. <laughs> Uh, pray always. <laughs> That's good. Oh, yeah, that's there good. you go. Good, good job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that wisdom, we will leave you for this week. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll 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 talk to you next week. May God bless you, and may Jesus Christ be praised. <laughs>